Our text this morning as we continue our Christmas Eve service is from John chapter 20 and verse 29. John 20, 29. You can feel free to pull out a Bible if, you, if you'd like and you can follow along as we look at this passage. I recognize that this isn't a Christmas passage. Uh, it's not your normal, typical kind of Christ- Christmas passage. That being said, uh, I do think that there's a truth here that I'd like to highlight for us this evening and share with you. And so before we get there, though, I'd like us to uh, just review where we've been the last couple weeks in our Advent season. As we've lit this candle, we've, these candles, we've used these candles as kind of a, uh, a jumping off point to highlight five different virtues of the Christian faith, basically each candle representing a different virtue or a different truth. Those five virtues are hope, peace, joy, love, and tonight we'll focus on the virtue of faith. Each virtue, again, represented with a candle. We looked, we started with the, the first candle, and that was the virtue of hope. You remember that? We reviewed that even this morning. We learned there that Jesus came in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He was hope fulfilled. In that message, we traced kind of the whole story of redemption from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 21. Second, we looked at the virtue of peace. That was the second candle. There we learned that Messiah would come from a village, a small village called Bethlehem. And we learned that from the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 actually makes a prophecy that Jesus would come from this village, this small place called Bethlehem. And in that passage in Micah, really, he comes from Bethlehem to be uh, a ruler over the nation of Israel and over all of the nations. And so he is, as a savior, he is peace promised. And we focused on that with the second candle. Last week, we looked at the virtue of joy. Uh, we, t- we looked at the, the account where the shepherds hear the message from the angel and they go and find baby Jesus there. And we learned from that that we are to rejoice We are to rejoice because the message of God is for common folk. It was for shepherds, and so it's for people like us. Uh, It was a clear message, and finally, it was a very convincing message. They heard the message of God. They believed it. They, They went back, and they praised God for what they had seen. This morning, if you were with us, we looked at the fourth candle, and we took up the topic of love, love displayed. We looked at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and, and there we learned the, the different ways or the different directions that God's love is displayed. I kind of took the directional approach on that, and we, we looked back into eternity, and we said that God, God is love, and so from all of eternity, uh, it's, love is rooted in who God is, uh, the eternal direction of love. We talked about the historical direction of love, and that was that Jesus actually came into this world. So historically, there is something that actually happened. And then we also looked at the present direction of love, and that was the call for each of us to actually love one another. There are implications uh, from the birth of Jesus. Jesus comes, and God loved us. To, he sent his son, and so we are called then to love one another. And finally, we looked at the final direction of love, which was simply that as we love one another, we actually, uh, we actualize, we put on display the invisible nature of God. God is a spirit, he's invisible. So when we love one another, people see what God looks like through our actions. What we do is we care and love for one another. Tonight, we lit the fifth candle, what's called the Christ candle. And from that candle, we'll, talk up, we'll take up the, the topic of faith. 
the topic of faith. And so as I've, as I've said, our text this evening is John chapter 20 and verse 29. And my goal tonight is to simply draw your attention to a, a simple truth, one truth, and it's this. God rewards faith oversight. God rewards faith oversight. That's the focus of this message, and that's the truth that I would like to draw out of this passage. John chapter 20 actually doesn't record the birth of Jesus. It records the resurrection of Jesus. Having been resurrected, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared then to the 10, to 10 of the, of the disciples, not to Judas Iscariot, um, for he had betrayed Jesus. And for some reason, Thomas was not there when Jesus appeared to those first disciples. The Bible doesn't tell us why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. Shortly after appearing to those 10 disciples, they told Thomas that they had seen the risen Lord. And you remember this from John chapter 20. Thomas responded saying, this is in John chapter 20, verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, Thomas says, I will never believe. I will never believe. Eight days later, Jesus appeared to the disciples again, but this time Thomas was there. He was with them, and Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answers famously in John 20, verse 28. You can look at it there if you have your Bible open. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so just like that, Thomas abandons his skepticism and he believes. And not only that, but his expression of faith is quite lofty. He declares that Jesus is almighty God. It's Jesus' Jesus's response, however, to that expression of faith that I'd like to draw your attention to this evening. Look down at John chapter 20 and verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's the truth that I'd like to draw your attention to this evening. Again, God rewards faith oversight. God rewards faith oversight. We imagine the birth of Jesus was a private event that outside of this small village in Bethlehem or the small village of Bethlehem in the blackness of night, baby Jesus came into the world. We sing about that every year. In fact, we're going to sing it here in a little bit. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Although there may be some truth to the fact that this was this private event and not few were around, it wasn't long until there were many people that saw baby Jesus. You remember soon after the shepherds came and they visited the family and saw the baby Jesus and just a number of days later, the baby was presented in the temple and there a man named Simeon sees the child. He actually held the baby Jesus. We know that the prophetess Anna she sees the baby Jesus. There was even a group of magi that came and laid eyes on the baby Jesus and uh, laid down gifts for him, gave him gifts, presented him with gifts 
as they might do to a king. And these are just the people that we know about. The Bible tells us saw the baby Jesus. I imagine there were many other people that actually laid eyes on Jesus and saw God in the flesh. There were probably countless others. Uh, one commentator, a, a woman, Megan Hill, she writes, quote, I'd like to see Jesus. I'd like to gaze on his face to learn the contour of his chin and the color of his eyes. I'd like to hear his voice. I'd like to touch his hands and worship at his feet. I can relate to these words. I would myself like to see the baby Jesus, to hold the baby Jesus. It would be wonderful and compelling to actually see the Son of God. That being said, I have to admit that the reason I want to see Jesus probably has less to do with worship, fortunately, and more to do with proof. In this way, I don't think I'm much different than Thomas was. Well, this evening, I want you to think about this, consider that being 2,000 years late for the birth of Jesus actually puts us in a better position than those who experienced the birth of Jesus. Again, we're, from our vantage point, we're in a better position than those who held the baby Jesus in their hands. And so I want you to understand that we have an opportunity to, re to receive a greater reward standing far off in faith. And this truth, of course, doesn't merely apply to the birth of Jesus, but to his resurrection as well. Again, from where we stand, both the manger and the tomb, well, they're empty. We don't actually see Jesus. We can't put our eyes on him. We can't hold him. Jesus can't be found in either place. In fact, Colossians 3.1 says, Christ is in heaven and is, in fact, seated at the right hand of God. This is one of the reasons why we use the word faith. When we speak of Christianity, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith, defines faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is, is believing in something that we haven't seen. Faith is believing that Jesus was in the manger, although we don't see him. We haven't put our eyes on him. This is very important for us to understand. There are many who don't believe in Jesus because there's no proof for his existence. Or there's not enough proof for his existence. These people are like Thomas. They're skeptics. They will not accept Jesus until everything has been clearly explained. I'm not suggesting, of course, that Christianity isn't intellectual and that there are, aren't logical reasons to believe. There are logical reasons to believe, and it is intellectual. But I am suggesting, and I'm not suggesting, that God is calling us to a blind, unreasoning faith. That I'm not suggesting. Take Thomas, for example. What had Tom, Thomas already seen? Was it a blind, unreasoning faith that Jesus was calling Thomas to? Well, I don't think so at all. He saw a man paralyzed for 38 years get up and walk. He saw a man blind from birth receive sight. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw a man dead for four days stumble from a tomb. All this Thomas would have seen. 
was asking Thomas to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, calling him to a blind, unreasoning faith? I don't think so. And so God does not call us to a blind, unreasoning faith. However, God does call us to faith. In fact, sometimes we we use that to kind of capture Christianity as a whole. It is our faith. It's believing in something unseen, something that's invisible, something that's not tangible, not here. Thomas reminds us of those who claim, if I could see, I would believe. That was Thomas. Until I see with my eyes, I will not believe. And I'm sure you know people like that. Maybe you're one of those people yourself. You will not believe until you see. Jesus taught us that this claim does not help us. The claim that if I could see, I would believe is is not something that's going to lead us into faith. It's going to lead lead us into skepticism and unbelief. Jesus teaches us about this in Luke chapter 16. He tells us a story in that passage about a a rich man who died. In that story, the rich man was sent to Hades. You might consider that like hell, kind of. He's in Hades and he's in torment in the story that Jesus tells. And from Hades, from this place, he can look over and see heaven, what's called Abraham's bosom in the story. And having seen such things, being in torment himself and seeing the blessings of heaven, he requests that his brothers might be told about the judgment that they will face in Hades. Abraham speaks to the man from heaven. He says, quote, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man replies, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Do you remember what Abraham said? He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even if they have a sign, they still won't believe. Apparently, the idiom, seeing is believing, has its limitations. And the Jews of Jesus' day were no different, even after Jesus fed the 5,000. I mean, he fed 5,000, that's just counting the men. He probably fed over 10,000 people from a sack lunch. And they're still asking the question, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? They still don't believe. What work do you perform, they asked him. The crowds in Jesus' day longed to see a miracle, and I don't think we're too different often. We long for a miraculous report. We ache for healing and for an answer. We so desperately want God to move mightily that we might declare, like Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. We want a sign. We want something tangible. Yet, you might say the manger is empty. There's no baby. Well, I don't think many of us have the blanket skepticism of Thomas. That is, I don't think our eyes pierce heaven and declare, I'll never believe until you show me the miraculous. We do long for something tangible. I do. Something physical. It's normal. Even the psalmist cried out 
Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Show us. We want to see it. We want it to be real and in front of us. Show us a sign. Yet, what the Bible declares, what God would have us to learn, is that we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I have no doubt that Thomas exercised a genuine faith. It was a true faith. I don't doubt that at all. But what Jesus tells us is that his faith was a lesser, it was a lesser or you might say easier kind of faith. And I say this because Jesus makes a comparison between Thomas's faith and the faith of those who haven't seen. Jesus says, blessed, it's a beatitude, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is speaking of those who will have no evidence for the resurrection, no evidence for the birth of Jesus. These have not yet, they have not seen, yet they will have believed. It will be pure faith for them. And so here I believe we find ourselves in the text. I think this applies to us from where we sit in history. We are, we are those who haven't seen. We haven't seen the resurrected Jesus, nor do we see the baby in the manger. And yet Jesus says here that we're blessed. We're blessed if we believe such things. And so Jesus is pronouncing a certain blessedness on anyone at any time, past, present, and future, who believes without seeing. And this faith comes with a special reward. It comes with a blessing. To be blessed is to be happy, but it's more than that. To be blessed is really to be accepted by God. That's what Jesus is saying. Having been accepted by God, Peter tells us, it's interesting, this kind of comes up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you remember this text, though you have not seen him, he says, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And yet, we're not in a ship of fools. We may not have held the baby Jesus, but Christ is very present with us even now. His word is living and active, the scriptures tell us, and his spirit dwells within us. And so God is very much here. This means that although we haven't heard his cries or we haven't held his swaddling cloth, we have everything we need to experience him. Outside of Jesus walking through these doors and entering in this sanctuary, the Bible gives us the best evidence it can muster to persuade us that belief in Jesus is not only a reasonable choice, but a necessary decision. Jesus isn't an idea. Jesus was a baby and a major. Jesus came into this world and left a mark like no other. And so the principle is simply this, God rewards faith over sight. If you're with us tonight, you're here tonight, or you might be listening and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, friend, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? 
Are you waiting for some proof? Are you waiting for a sign? Are you waiting for some tangible evidence? Well, I want you to know that this is a very much, this is a wrong approach. This is not what the Bible calls you to. This is not what Christianity calls you to. It does not call you to a sign. It calls you to believe. And so something you need to understand is that you cannot avoid mystery in this world. You ask for a world without mystery, but yet mystery is all around you. You know, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but did you eat at a restaurant recently? Maybe this afternoon you ate at a restaurant. I don't know. You went out to eat. Well, did you ask to see the kitchen before you ate? Do you know anything about the way that your food was prepared? Likely you don't. Do you know if your fork was properly cleaned before you put it in your mouth? Sorry. You have no idea. You have no idea if that fork was cleaned properly, and yet you did not question it for a second. You just, that meal came and you just ate it. You don't know if the food was cooked to temperature. You have no idea. You have no idea what that kitchen looks like. Yet, in an act of faith, you ate that meal and you enjoyed it. The last time you updated your phone, you quickly pressed that button and you agreed to something. Do you have any idea what you agreed to? Do you have any idea what the data company, your cellular company, does with your data? You, you think you have an idea, but do you really know? Pressed for an answer, could you prove what they do with your data? Likely not. Likely not. You think you know, but you do not. What about that expiration date on that carton of milk? You pour the milk in the bowl, you stick the spoon in the bowl, you don't even hesitate. You put the cereal in your mouth and you trust that that milk has not gone south. And you drink down your bowl of milk. What about the diagnosis you gave yourself based on the website that you read? You've diagnosed yourself. You've even take, taken action based on that diagnosis. Yet, do you have any idea where that information came from? Do you know anything about the doctor or the, the system or the, the structure that's around that website that you base your actions on? Likely you don't. You likely believe lots of things about science, and yet they are not proven. You, you have not seen them. You, you probably believe something about the age of the earth, how we got here, who might be out there, I don't know. But do you have any proof of that? Sure, there are, might be evidence that leads you to believe this or that, but if you're honest, if you're honest with yourself, whatever you believe about science and what science tells you, there's a lot of mystery to it. You can't actually prove it. And so you already, in all of these corners of your life, you already accept a ton of mystery. You, you exercise faith in so many different things all the time. It's all around you and you don't even think about it. But yet when it comes to this, you push against it. I want to see evidence before I believe. Please understand, I, I'm not saying that there, there isn't empirical evidence. I'm not saying that there, there isn't good things to be taught about 
uh, tangible reasons to believe and arguments for those things. Those things are out there and they're, they're good and we could talk about that from Scripture. That being said, I do not think God wishes that we call the skeptic to an argument first. I believe what God calls us to or calls us to say to the skeptic is believe. That's where it begins. Believe. That's what it is. It's faith. Faith is believing something that's unseen. I know we don't like that. Our, our rational minds push against that. But that's what Christianity is about. It's about believing in something that you haven't seen. That's what faith is. You have to take a step of faith and trust that what God says is true and right. And friends, God will reward you for that action. You will be blessed if you believe. So if you're prone to say, I must see first, then I will believe. Well, I want to say to you, you must believe, then you will see. For if you would only believe and ask humbly for God's help, you would then very soon see what's true. If, on the other hand, this evening you have believed, which I trust most of you have, well then, these words are for you. John 20, verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Your faith is rewarded. And to be blessed, as I said, isn't simply to be happy. It's to be, to be accepted by God. To be accepted by God. It's to stand before Jesus with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. To be cleansed, purified. To be forgiven, to be accepted by our God. Although we walk by faith and not by sight... Revelation 1, 7 says that we will see one day. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye, it says, will see him. Every eye will see him one day. So faith will be given over to sight. While we may never see the baby Jesus, we never will see the baby Jesus, we will see something greater. We will see our king return and declare victory over the world. Amen? Isaiah tells us what we'll see. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing reality. This is the way that you have designed our faith, our religion, that we would believe. And believing, we would be blessed. And so God, as we leave tonight and we meditate and think about what you've called us to this Christmas season, Lord, I pray that we would take up this Blessed truth from your word. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let us rest in you and trust you through faith.
We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not done yet. I want to invite you out on the patio, and we're going to light some candles, and we're going to sing a Christmas carol together, Silent Night, and then we have a gift for you as well, a tote bag. And so if you want to know what that is, ask Danny, and he'll tell you. So join us in the back or out in the, out in the front patio, and we'll sing together.